0: time ever um, that I'm recording a show and I have my wife Jennifer here uh, she unfortunately or maybe fortunately I don't know yet doesn't have a headset and microphone um, I am planning on ordering an extra one so we can we can include her in the future but the budget was tight so I could only afford three and then I have uh, I have will and MJ Patrick Patrick, I am so sorry. It's all right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, Will is our third. Born. Will's you our were... third born. He's um, he's a big he's a big personality. Yeah, we'll go for that. Yeah. So all good. That
1: that <laughs> he's been calling you Patrick all week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, Pat and MJ here, uh, married June, I That's believe. all right mm-hmm. I got that one right. Um, so I think about a week ago, we were uh, we were passing through. We as in Jen and I, we were passing through. Um, Nashville Franklin area, uh, getting to kind of visit with some family, and we stopped into a, a CrossFit box called uh, CrossFit Goose Creek, and um, I I think I don't know if it was in the beginning or toward the end, but this really funky looking like I loved her outfit. It like <laughs> it comes up and just seems like really overly excited that we were there and and was kind of sharing with Jen and I how inspirational we are and and it came at a good time too because I I I have a really tough time sometimes putting myself out there on social media feeling like I'm not really able to connect with people and mm-hmm. and 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 I kind of yeah i don't i don't like it sometimes and i just don't feel like i'm really anything good is coming from it so to hear that somebody has in some way shape or form been motivated or inspired by anything that jen or i have posted online was needed at that time so to keep me um motivated to try to connect with people and and just i just want people to feel as good as I feel. And, and that I've, we've worked really hard on that. And, and I want to be able to share that with people. But sometimes I, I just get in like a little mood. I'm, I'm like, I don't think I'm able to do that mm. through Instagram. So it was, I appreciate you. Like, it seems like we were both kind of in each other's lives at a, at a really cool time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, we dropped into this gym and I met MJ. I think MJ might have called her husband and, and made it Yeah, she, even.
2: she texted me and she's like, you'll never guess who's at the gym. I was like, no, I probably won't. So she let me know. It's exciting.
0: And uh, we, uh, we decided that we should go maybe meet up for coffee, met up for coffee the next day. You guys started sharing your story. I think MJ was more hanging out with Jen and 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 we were hanging out together, mm-hmm. and and as you started to talk, I was almost like, "Stop talking! You have an incredible story. We have to share this." And and now we're here. So mm-hmm. we've we completed our trip down to Miami, and we went as far as the Keys. We got to go paddleboarding and uh, snorkeling. Jen got to go snorkeling for the first time.
3: You got to see your Chiefs win. <laughs> Heck yeah. Go Chiefs. <laughs>
0: um, and uh, we so we planned on the way back uh, to Illinois to stop back in in Franklin and record the first ever whatever we're going to call this podcast. Awesome. And um, so welcome, you two, and thank you. Thank, you thank you so much for allowing me to be... In your home, in your office, thank you for feeding us. You made an incredible meal, and I learned a couple things. In the kitchen, Uh, like uh, an onion elixir that you can... (laughs) Marinated onion elixir. You can (laughs) just leave that sucker out on the countertop for multiple days, and like a fine wine gets better every single day. Um, So, yeah, again, thank you guys so much for doing this. I I think this is going to be a very powerful show or message um, Mm -hmm. that could very well save somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And if, if not that just do the very thing that I I want to come from this, which is just to inspire and motivate people. So I guess we'll get started. Sure. With well, Thanks for having us, yeah, man. man. It's such an honor to be on here. <laughs> it's, gosh, life's a trip, man. It is. Um, but, you guys, you used to be Amish. That's right. Yeah, we and were both
2: raised Amish.
0: Jenny has a special space in her heart for the Amish community. She's always told me that she took a uh, a college course on the Amish and And it was her favorite course. Um, So Jenny was immediately kind of drawn to you guys. And I was just blown away by this, like, I've never, I've never, well, I don't think I've ever met even an Amish person, let alone someone who, would you say, converted uh, yeah, or, or what would you call that transition maybe deconverted or left uh-huh. you know
2: it's uh, there's a number of ways that the people in the community think about it but it's generally seen as negative yeah. obviously when when people leave um, you know there's this colloquial um, phrase that they use internally and the the imagery is of that of jumping the fence it's like there's a in the, in the German dialect there's a there's a phrase siehen die fence jumped they jumped over the fence to the outside world, like that's essentially <laughs> what we did, I guess.
0: Um, and yeah, so I, I think we should kind of start start off there. Like, what what is what is it like to be Amish? Um, how how does it how is it different from the life that you live now? And mm-hmm. are there still aspects of your upbringing that are still really important parts of maybe your life, or what are the parts that you've maybe released or let go of? And and for the f- pretty much the first time, we're going to be get getting to hear this too. So I- I'm really excited to learn what your childhood was like. Um, and and what was that? How they met? Yeah, how you guys met. And sure. so why don't yeah. we start off with just maybe a little highlight of your, um, of your childhood and, and how you guys came to know each other. And then that initial, uh, I, I guess the, the deconversion mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, get into some more current and, uh, present day, um, topics, sure. uh, which, which like I, have already said, your guys' story is incredible and, and the part of we were recording earlier, but that part that we were talking about earlier will probably be edited out. But there's things that you guys have been through within your marriage that I, I would think that that would be the part where most people would say like, that's it. like Mm -hmm. We draw the line here. Right. And in a lot of cases, even before that. Right. Um, But yet, you guys stand here, sit here, smiling, holding hands. You seem madly in love with each other. And, and I'm curious because mm-hmm. selfishly, I guess, I want, I want to know what it is that kept you guys together. Yeah. And so we'll get there in a little bit. Yeah. But let's start off with what does it look like to grow up in the Amish community? Sure. Well, so I should uh, specify for
2: anybody that's kind of Amish, um, familiar with the Amish. There's Amish exists on kind of a spectrum similar to other Protestant religions, where you have some, you know, let's say Church of Christ, for example, the deno- denomination. You have some that are very conservative, legalistic, fundamentalist, and then you have some that even within the Church of Christ, there's some that are more progressive, right? They're maybe a little bit more open to new ideas and and all of that. The same is true in the Amish. You have some Amish who. Exist all the way on the very, very fundamentalist, you know, part of the spectrum, where it's like you're not allowed to have um, a paved or gravel driveway, mud only, you know, so to discourage any further um, going away than what is absolutely necessary, or no rubber tires on the buggies, you know, steel wheels only, to further, you know, so that's the very conservative end, and then the most progressive end is where we existed, which is called the Beachy Amish. So the Beachy Amish hold many of the same uh, tenets of the kind of faith, and they live out a lot of the same stories, Um, but they're on the more progressive end, um, I would say, and slightly more open to spiritual um, things than maybe the very fundamentalist um, conservative Old Order Amish is a term that a lot of people hear, and that's the Old Order Amish is separate from Beachy Amish in that um, the Old Order Amish drive... Buggies have no electricity. It's kind of what you think of as, as Amish. The beachy Amish have, t- I would say, two primary concessions that they've made to modern life is they've allowed cars to a limit, like there's a there's a limit to what kind of cars you can have, but you can have automobiles and you can have electricity. Those are kind of the two primary kind of concessions that we grew up with. So our experience wasn't precisely the same as the old Order Amish um, in that we didn't have horses and buggies. But I would say we the rest of it was pretty similar in yeah. a lot of ways. Do you
0: and- think the... Uh- do you think the fundamentalist Amish kind of see that as like a gateway into maybe what potentially allowed you guys to deconvert or do you, do you guys know uh, amongst the Amish communities, how you feel about other. Oh yeah. uh, Yeah. That's pretty, pretty clear.
3: Yeah. It's very clear. And, um, The fear is there for sure, although doing that um, progression will keep you from being excommunicated. So, if so, all like all of our grandparents, all four sets of our grandparents would have been Old Order Amish at one time. Um, My grandparents growing up, I I had one set of grandparents who still did horse and buggy um, and lived Old Order Amish, but because my parents took the step to go beachy Amish. They were not excommunicated. They could still eat with their with their parents. They could still um, have, hold business with them. If you would go from an old order Amish and leave and go and just leave with no Amish ties at all, that would cause excommunication. So it is a gateway, but it's also one that's safe in in the Amish community. Um,
2: uh, it's safe, but it's not necessarily easy. There's still a lot of... Yeah you know, a big part of the the Amish grow very quickly because they have big families and there's not much attrition. Like people stay largely because there's a ton of, um, well, there's a fear that if they leave, they'll be disconnected from their support system. And that's actually true. That's what happens largely is you lose a lot of connection with um, your immediate family and the whole community that you grew up with. You just kind of get cut out of
0: as a, as a control mechanism, I would say to keep them there. And I'm sure we'll, we'll hear more about that transition for you guys and and how you felt amongst yourselves leaving the Amish community but i i want to know more about what's it like to be a kid yeah. in the community go ahead you you take that first i think you
3: well and i think to be fair it probably depends a lot on personality for the children i was a very curious child and so at a very young age i remember actually looking at my mom i was 6 years old when i told my mom I can't, I can't keep these people happy. Like I remember actually feeling that it was around a certain something that had happened with an authority figure. Um, I had lots and lots of questions at a very young age. And so I, my childhood, I think I kind of surrendered and just knew at one point I was going to leave. I I didn't realize how I didn't understand how, um, but it was lovely. Like I'm the oldest of eight. We lived on a farm. Um, We were kept busy but not neglected. Um, we were like, I have a incredible set of memories as a child. Um, we grew our own food. We raised our own animals that we ate. We made our own clothing. We were very busy. And there was a lot that I have now today because of the childhood that I had um, close community. So the people I went to school with were the people I went to church with were the people I did life with people. I went to youth group with. So it was a very sheltered um, Culture And still I had this incredible imagination, huge curiosity, wanted to travel, wanted to get my passport, all of these things. And at 19 is when my parents, so my my dad had an experience, an awakening experience. And at 19 is when they gave me the go-ahead to leave the community. Um, and I did. I left and um, kind of pendulum swung and went to um, a church in the area that was very um, charismatic. It was, it just felt like it was very different than what I was experiencing in the Amish community. And I just did that pendulum swing. And it was in when I was in that community is when I met Patrick. Um, But he was still in the Amish community in Ohio. So, um, yeah, childhood is beautiful. I mean, it is an incredible way to raise kids. It's simple. um, It's hardworking. You learn a lot of hard work ethic. But a lot of fun, like a lot of, you don't have TV, so you just sit around and make memories by playing games, a lot of family time, um, and I have an incredible set of parents, so, um, and we still have a great relationship.
0: Your your curiosity as a as a child, how was that received by your family? Like, was, are you, do you get the answers to your questions, or are you shamed or or receiving an answer in a way that makes you less curious because yeah. you're afraid to ask more questions? Yeah,
3: definitely the latter. Um, although again, my parents did have our home as a safe place for me to ask questions. Like I think think back of questions that I had now and there were times that I could tell I made my parents uncomfortable and maybe they didn't have an answer. Um, and before my dad had his experience, I would experience a very different father as a child than I did as a after his awakening is what he would call it. Um, and so there was times when he would just say, that's enough. You can't ask mm-hmm. any more questions. Um, or, and I think sometimes it was because he didn't even know, like, it was like, I just would go and go and go. Um, but then by authority figures outside of the home, I was very quiet and shut down and quieted. Um, you know, my parents would get phone calls and you know, <laughs> yeah, she can't ask, you can't have her asking these or you can't. Yeah. There's just, there was a lot of, um, I don't know that I ever really felt shame around my questions, except I was just confused. Like it didn't map in my head. Um, And I don't know why. Like I don't, I don't, because a lot of my siblings didn't experience it that way. So I don't know if it's just my person didn't understand it and it didn't make sense for me. Um, Or if it was something like maybe my dad was curious and maybe that's actually what led to his awakening. Because now as a 60 year old, he is, I would say very curious and very um, open, Probably not quite as much as I am, but he is.
2: Yeah, and he's uh, he's defined by love, I yeah, would say.
3: Definitely. Yeah, definitely.
2: Rather than fear. Yeah. You know, f- for me, it was more, I grew up um, in Ohio. MJ grew up in Pennsylvania, and we both grew up in a huge Amish community. Uh, I was the, I'm was i the oldest of four boys, and my grandfather owned a, or continues to own, one of the biggest employer, one of the big companies in that region, that employed a lot of Amish people in our community. So out of the, say, 200 employees, maybe 180 of them or so are Amish. And he was also, growing up, he was also the bishop of our church. So it was a very, um, in some ways it was idyllic, it was insular in some ways, where it wasn't a lot of, I didn't, um, I would say, you know, there's kind of a limited amount of outside influence. Yeah. So you tend to think of your world as pretty much defined by you know, what does grandpa think? He's the bishop, he's the, the boss, and he's the patriarch in some sense. Um, so that's pretty influential. Um, but my parents were a little different than their peers. They were a little bit more open-minded, and maybe that's what created the path for me to actually ask the questions and then eventually leave. I don't know. But I went to a public school in elementary school, which was almost unheard of. There was none of my other peers in the Amish, Beachy Amish Church, Went to the public school. All of them went to church schools. Um, so I'm not sure where that came from, but I think it op- it exposed me to some outside influence, probably. And um, my grandparents. One of the things that they always did that was um, somewhat uncommon in our community, I would say, is they really welcomed in um, outsiders into the family in a way that I didn't see a lot of other Amish families doing. Example would be there's a lifelong friend um, who was the local surgeon. So you know he just they got to know him. There was a number of doctors that um, I guess because grandpa is a you know an influential business person in the community. he kind of got to know you know the doctors and lawyers and the other kind of people more at the top end of the society, if you will, and somehow he just kind of um, welcomed them in in a way that was really non-threatening and it but it also created a little dissonance for me in that I was being told that if I don't live this very specific this set of rules in this way, I mean, down to how you comb your hair, how, you know, what, you know, what kind of what color belt you wear, you know, with your pants, these very specific rules. Like if you don't do this, like then you don't belong. And ultimately the implication was that, well, you might, you know, suffer in eternity, you know, for breaking these very specific rules. And yet I saw, um, you know, people invited into the family family birthday parties and holidays. And it's like they're doctors and lawyers and people of influence who were beautiful people and who had, you know, but from a lot of different backgrounds, there was, you know, Muslims, there was people from, you know, no religious affiliation, but they were all in that, you know, around that table, if you will. And it made me go, wait a minute. Like, is it true? Like, you know, the surgeon, I know he loves Jesus. I know he's a Christian guy. He doesn't live like we do. So is it really true that if I don't comb my hair this way or wear this belt or wear this coat, or is, am I really going to suffer for eternity for that? Like there's this dissonance that started create, being created for me at a pretty young age where I'm going, something doesn't add up. Like I'm being told this, but I see this with these other people. Like they seem to be doing just fine. Like what's the deal? Why, why can't I live like them? Do I have to do this deal? You know, and I kind of started rebelling against that at a pretty young age.
0: And I would imagine that you did were you actually questioning that? Like yeah, you, I told
2: were, Absolutely. I told my parents at twelve that I'm out. Like I'm not doing this deal.
0: Oh wow. So at a very young age you you both kinda had it in your minds that you were going to take a different direction and and try something a little differently.
3: Had no idea how. Like I remember just going even just talking about it now as a child, like trying to play out in my head how it would work. Um and I ended up in a, a a young kid was adopted into the community um, from New York and ended up coming into my school. So I was in a church school, came into my school, um, and he was adopted at an older age than was typical if there was adoption in the community because that's very unusual. Typically, it's at a very young age if that happens. He was older, I think second grade, and so brought along a lot of his worldly ways. And we ended up in a relationship that ended up being kind of a bad deal for me, but looking back, I think it was my way as a child going, maybe this is my way out. Maybe this is somebody that is not from our culture that's going to get me out. So, you know, I didn't understand in my head how it was going to all play out, but it it didn't feel true to me. It didn't make sense to me. It didn't hold a lot of, like, even a lot of the rules didn't hold the fear that I feel like other kids may have experienced, maybe what has kept people there.
2: I think for young kids, it's especially sweet in that there's a very family forward, you know, there's not a lot of outside distractions. You've got, you know, there's no radio, no TV, no movies, no music, no, you know, it's just, you're playing games, you're going outside, you're working a lot, you know. You're so working
3: together you're as working a family, together, you're building family. something together. Gosh,
0: there, I mean, there sounds like a lot
3: oh, of it's beautiful
0: that like within our, our culture now we could we could really use yeah. mm-hmm. um, when we first met MJ uh, I think you said something along the lines, like if there was some apocalypse, like you could totally like be able to keep us all alive yeah. and such. And, and it sounds like you, you gathered a, a, a number of skill sets that um, to me seem very, very valuable. Like, do you, do you have any, I don't, I don't want to say resentment because it, seems like you guys have you guys have a lot of tools and knowledge and, and experience that i don't and we don't culturally so i would imagine deep down you you've got to be somewhat thankful and appreciative of how you were brought up but do you hold any type of like blame or resentment towards I don't wanna say that you were misinformed or anything, but when you got out, I'm sure you're like, Holy crap, mm-hmm. there's a lot going on out here. Yeah. And we're and still
3: we're still in that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: di- did you did you you kinda get what I'm saying? Do you feel yeah, like yeah. you were lied to at all or, or anything like that? And again, I don't want to make it seem like we're trying to attack or or say anything bad about the Amish community but I, I, I'm i from your perspective did did you feel like did you feel any of that?
2: I Yes and no so it's um, what we're actually going through that right now is kind of figuring out what is what are the good things from it that we want to incorporate into our life and, and this will make maybe more sense in the context of hearing the kind of deconstruction and reconstruction story that we'll get to in a bit um, but I think this idea that Yes, in some sense, we paid attention to a lot of things that now it doesn't look like that's what we maybe should have been paying attention to. Um, Maybe these kind of silly rules um, about things that don't really matter. And we kind of missed some of the really big things that really do matter, like, you know, the internal kind of what's the nature of the conversations that you have with yourself about yourself you know some of those like pretty critical things to kind of think about that wasn't really part of the thought process is all about well just do these things and you'll be good like you know follow these very specific behavior management systems and you'll be you'll go to heaven and everything will be fine like that was kind of the the premise and so coming out of that it is it's tough to know how to feel about it because in some ways it was it's beautiful it's rich it's you know, and I, I think, you know, we certainly, I didn't know anybody except one couple as a kid that was divorced, for example, like that just mm. didn't happen. Like there was no, um, now maybe it should have happened in some cases and didn't, <laughs> I don't know, but it's like, but that, you know, that's still overall, that's a positive thing. Like there's more families that, you know, there's something that knit them together in some way that helped them work through, you know, some things. And that I Think can be good, and I look at that. I was having this conversation with your parents, MJ, um, when we were home for Christmas. Is like when you look back, um, in some ways, it, it looks helpful, and, and the negative stuff looks kind of benign in some ways, mm. but but then I have these moments where I'm wrestling with things where I'm facing maybe um a c- certain resentments that crop up in my own life or whatever. And I'm like, you know, crap, if I if I wouldn't have been held back in that way, or if I wouldn't have been like I think you said, lied to about this, or if I wouldn't have, you know, perceived it wrong, like what could I be today? But overall, overarching, I want everybody to hear it all belongs. Like mm. that's what we've come mm-hmm. to. It's, yeah. it's, you know, whether we get caught up in, in trying to judge, was that good or bad? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it was, and it belongs. And so it's part of the story. And so um, we just move forward from there, I guess.
3: And I think it's, I think everybody growing up Amish or not, everybody could find something to hold on to and hold resentment to if they want to in their childhood. I think for both of our families, it's true that they gave us the best they knew how to give with the tool set that they had. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is what raised me. I took a trip back home. What was it? I guess it was about last year this time, um, and I remember being so excited to get home and get to Philadelphia and land and my people, my culture, and I landed and it was pretty late at night, so I rented a car and drove the hour back to my parents. And as I was coming into the county where I was raised, it just washed over me for the first time that this is what raised me, and I was grateful for it. But it no longer really held anything um, more than that. It wasn't. It wasn't negative. It was. It felt like. Like, it all belonged. Like, mm. that's what raised me. Um, but it was okay to move on.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful perspective. Me and Jenny just started uh, a book called it, it Didn't Start With You. Um, and it's it's gotten us to be a little bit more sensitive in, in understanding that our parents did everything that they could with what they knew. Mm-hmm. And and for us to not, I guess, resent or, or be upset or blame them for, um, maybe doing something a little differently just because we have now maybe a new understanding. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's really cool to well, hear you say And
3: gosh, that. I want my kids to surpass me in every way. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't want them to stay stuck where we're, or not to stay where we are. And so, um, as we grow, I think yeah we just have to keep that perspective, like Mom and Dad did what they knew and what they could, and we get to we get to live life this way now,
0: yeah, so you still you still like how does that work you're allowed back into the Amish community you're allowed to go see your family um how are you how are you treated how are you viewed do you do you do you feel welcome
3: so my family then um actually I left first of all. And then, um, my parents actually eventually ended up leaving after my dad realized that the culture was not ready. So he had his awakening and tried to stay in the culture for a while. Cause he was so excited about what he was learning and what he was experiencing and was trying to bring it back to them. Um, and it was a no go. And so they left, um, and along with my siblings, um, and actually helped start a little church, which was, the church that we went to for a few years then. Um, but I met Patrick and went back into the community for him. So then my family had all was now left and and had gone and we were back into, in the Mennonite community. Um, and so, yeah, going back home, my parents are welcoming their, um, Awesome. Awesome. My grandma, I have one grandparent left living and she would still be in the Amish community and has always been very open and okay. She had a, um, a bed and breakfast. And so she's had tours from all over the world, has always been very open-minded and and is a sweet woman and will always welcome me back home. I'm sure she's disappointed in the way that we've chosen to live. Like if it would be her way, she, you know, we would still be in the community, but she's never um, made it obvious to me.
0: So you leave and then you come back in the community. I still, for some reason, really want to say William, but come <laughs> back into the community for Patrick. Um, were you, did you know that you were going to get back out or did you have any nervous or maybe just like, ah, like what am I doing going back for a boy? Um, tell me a little bit about. That so I remember seeing him
3: at 17. You would have been about 19 or 20. Um, thought he was really cute. We were so still the, is <laughs> still is. Thank you. Still get um, the community because we don't go. We don't have education past 12th grade. They have ways of meeting each other. So they would do like youth fellowships or um, ways to to meet other young people outside of your own little place. And so we were in Ohio with friends. And I remember seeing him. I remember what he was wearing. Literally remember what he was wearing. Um, at a restaurant and knew his younger brother, but then didn't actually really get to know him until years and years later. Um, yes, I did. I do remember thinking, you know, here, here, I'm going to go back into this community again. Um, but there was something about him. I think my higher self knew there was a little bit of a a rebel spirit in there. Um, but it took us a little while then. Mm
0: -hmm. So you were, you were how old? Again, when you came back in?
3: So then, okay, so I left at 19. Okay. um, And then I met Patrick when I was 20. I mean, yeah, like I met him where we actually met each other and both kind of had a conversation, recognized that, oh, wow, that's a really cool person. Um, When I was 20 and you were 24.
2: I think you were almost 21. I was almost 21. And I was 24.
3: Yeah. Um, So I had been gone for about almost two years.
0: Mm -hmm. And... And how much? How much had shifted for you in that in that amount of time? Uh, was it was it uneasy for you to uh, get back into the community or or not really? Because was still how very familiar. You treated like yeah. were were did people view you as like some sort of like damaged goods because <laughs> you had kind of kind of left.
3: I don't know. Did they? I I mean, I think
0: that's probably a fair, like, yeah,
2: there's this kind of um, maybe a thankfulness that in in the community, like to the family, you know, that at least the ones that cared about that kind of thing. I think there was a sense of relief in some sense, maybe, that you came back, wouldn't you say?
3: Yeah, probably. I was probably kind of oblivious to all of it. Um, I loved him. Certainly. Like, I knew when I, I knew that we were, I knew he was my guy. And so I think it was like well, I've done this for so long. If this is what I have to do, I can do this. Um,
2: Yeah, I should add, so when I was 17, my dad gave me his permission and blessing to go from the beachy Amish to a conservative Mennonite church, which on the progression is slightly more progressive and allows a few more things um, than the Amish community we were in. So it was a little shift there, but Imperceptible to the outside world, probably, but felt yep. big to us. Um, so that's the church that I was in when I met MJ. And when I met MJ, I was twenty-three, and I was I hadn't had any uh, any serious relationships
0: for a long time. Um, it and I just met her. come
3: out from living in the woods for two years. He lived in the woods for two years in yes. South Carolina.
0: How's that work, guys? Like with dating and and having um, friends of of the opposite sex in the Amish community, like. What are the boundaries and the and the guidelines with uh, with dating and 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 what's the allowance with
2: that? Well, we grew up in a in the midst of the purity culture, and it was really a hotbed of like I would say the conservative Mennonite and Amish, beachy Amish communities were. I think if you if you get all of the you know kind of fear and sanctimony and self righteousness that you possibly can gather around dating and, and relationships with the opposite sex and you focus it in on a, you know, vulnerable 16 to 20 year old in, in a very religious setting, I think that's like where we were. It's like super, um, well, there's a lot of things we didn't talk about, but there was a lot of very clear, bright lines about what was and wasn't allowed. And it was very, uh, it was based around the purity culture. It was, um, you know, we were counseled not to have almost any physical contact at all, like as dating couples and stuff like that. So that was it was very much like um, you know, don't don't hold hands because that leads to sex, you know. So that was kind <laughs> so of So we
3: didn't the, kiss until our wedding day.
2: Yeah, we had our first kiss on our wedding day. It's very nice. Yeah, we really lived that out. We have That's
0: kind of so cool. <laughs> yeah, we have kind of a similar story. We we never held hands. We never got to hug. We never got we never kissed before. I asked her to. Well, there was kind of like a two phase ask. Initially, like within a couple days, I was like, "Hey, got some news for you. I love you, and I want to get married." And she was kind of a turd about it. (laughs) Great, I figure most people would be. She was just like, "Uh, "Are you sure? You just don't like the idea of me?" And
1: has a man that they don't know, and in like the first week of meeting, he's like, I'm in love with you. That's a lot. That's a lot, <laughs> that's a lot for, for me not to know somebody, and I don't trust people very well anyways. So for this random man that I met a, a couple days, comes to me and says, I think we have a problem. And I'm like, what's our problem? He's like, well, is Jesus the number one thing in your life? And I said, absolutely. Is that the problem? Do you not love Jesus? <laughs> and he's like, I love Jesus, but I love you and I was like, oh, that's a problem. I live in Sweden. He had a girlfriend um, at the time, and so obviously, I left to Sweden. He continued his relationship as long as that lasted, and it just was, it was, I was scared, because I was like, this man loves me. He's very, very attractive, very attractive, and I get myself in trouble a lot by jumping into relationships, and I don't know why. I never knew why that ever happened, but so, I wanted to make sure that I just didn't like the idea of he's my trainer, he's sexy, we like the same things, that's attractive. Mm-hmm. So, I just said, Are you sure you don't like the idea of me? I was a professional athlete, he was a trainer. Made sense, right? Yeah. Sure. But no, he was truly in love with me. And I thought that was kind of creepy at first. So,
0: how long ago was that? That was about seven years. Yeah, it's seven years ago. And it was a really radical experience. For me, uh, coming into um, seeing this woman and knowing that she was, it's hard for me to kind of, because it wasn't, I didn't get necessarily a verbal cue on this, um, but in a way I was instructed. Um, I'll kind of backpedal a little bit. So, my father died. I was exercising like a crazy man. I was fasting. And I was one day on this run. And out of nowhere, I was thrown to my knees. And I was on all fours. And it felt like, this is kind of crazy, it felt like somebody had a hold of my testicles Hmm. and in a way that was like, listen up or else you'll get it. So I was this mixture of like kind of afraid, but at the same time was literally encapsulated in what I can only define as an infinite love bubble. Mm. And I could see nothing of actual three-dimensional reality. Um, I could only see what looked to be like infinite white light, but Mm -hmm. I felt like I was encased in this bubble with something a hold of my groin. Hmm. Um, and then <laughs> on, on top, of, you know, oh, on all course. fours, I, I feel like I can barely breathe and I have again, what I can only describe as a light rod that was traveling from the bottom of my crotch through my entire spine and it was pouring out my mouth. This is something that I could visibly see at the moment. I was sober as can be. And again, I think just the combination of extreme exercise, the loss of my father, and fasting mm-hmm. prompted this some sort of awakening. And during that time that I was on the ground, kind of felt like I was trying to trying to breathe. But at this, again, at the same time, I felt very comforted, but I was very alert and, and wanted to pay attention to whatever had a hold of me. And I was given what felt like a progressive set of images that were to guide me mm. t- to what I was to do next. And I was literally led to... Man, a, a number. And I had two of these experiences. Um, and and it, I, I'm kind of jealous. I, well, <laughs> and which part, the part where your groin gets moved or the, the light rod coming the out The guiding
3: here? light, the guiding bar, <laughs> maybe?
0: So I, I had these, li- it was literally like future images of like what showed me ex- like verbatim of what to do and it was such a terrifying experience i had no choice but to follow through mm. and uh it it was and again it wasn't it wasn't verbal but it was as clear as the experience we're having right now mm-hmm. um speaking verbally um and to give you kind of a, a snapshot of what i was in essence instructed to do it was to <laughs> I had this all happened right outside of a church and I've never really been to church. Um, I've been to church, but never willingly. Uh, I would maybe go with my family for Christmas or I went to a, uh, a private school and there was some services from time to time, but, and I had, <laughs> I had a friend in college, David, Uh, asked me every single Sunday uh, if I wanted to go to church with him. And I said, no, every single time. And uh, I was instructed to go to this church that I had been thrown to the ground in front of, literally, like, was right in front of it. I was instructed to get baptized. And so I bought a ticket to Colorado where my friend David who had asked me to go to church. And I'd always, I'm like, what is up with this guy? Like, he knows something. And I always had that feeling about him. And uh, so I thought that was kind of funny that I was like told to go meet up with David mm-hmm. and get baptized by David. Um, crazy experience. Awesome. I was also instructed to get married. And I was like, oh, great. Because I'd really been battling with whether or not I should get married to this girl I'd been dating for six years. And I vividly remember in this moment, I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, I got all the people in place to do what it is that I'm instructed to do. And as soon as I had that thought, it was like, no, sorry, Mm. but not that one. Like, it's a different one. And I'm like, oh, gosh, that's... that's not good like <laughs> cuz i did not want to separate from from this girl it was a i loved her she, it was a great relationship um and yeah i'll just i'll just leave it at that so it's going to be very 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 difficult mm-hmm. for me to separate from her mm-hmm. and but at the same time, like I was so afraid of like what just happened to me, I had to follow through on these coordinates, on these instructions, on this download, whatever we want to call it. Um, and uh, then this she shows up, and it was like I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm so glad that I'm being obedient to whatever it is that is guiding me right now because when I saw her, it was like she was (laughs) in this big ball of light. And I was like, Oh, thanks man. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate that. Like that was a lot easier because I was so torn about having to separate, um, with my girlfriend at the time and to be, yeah, just to, so worried about maybe mm-hmm. being alone too or what was this search going to look mm-hmm. like um and he wasn't a very good flirter like he was pretty bad at flirting so it wasn't going to, to yeah to it, the thought of <laughs> the thought of trying to find somebody was really scary and especially so, if you
3: had been with somebody for six yeah, years so That's,
0: so even though you're
2: this like attractive super fit stud kind of guy you still weren't like super confident
0: about your ability to just go being, out and like the, I, being what I was, was relatively new for me. Mm. Um, I was a 275 pound football player with a shaved head in college, not the Mm. most attractive setup. Um, and then I had lost like 75 pounds. I was shredded. I had this little surfer boy, you know, haircut and that was relatively new for me. And I, I wasn't super familiar with that vessel and how to maybe use it to uh, attract or get what I wanted sure. in uh, the opposite sex. So uh, my, my game wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, didn't have it. But what I did have um, was this incredible passion to help people. And to teach people how to move and how to eat. And I think that was what, you know, in addition to maybe some six pack abs and a nice haircut helped, um, encourage Jenny at the time to consider my offer of marrying me without knowing me, um, (laughs) <laughs> i just <laughs> jen
2: just showed me that shredded six-pack that's a good That's a good look for you um that was before oh yeah
3: yeah i can hardly find you in there
0: yeah that's that's i ha- i didn't have a
4: neck
2: i you know when the other day when i met jen she commented on my hair i said well i wasn't around when they were handing out the genetic kind of you know distribution, but if I could have picked, I'd have picked six-pack abs. I motioned over to you. I said, I'd look like Sam if I could have picked, but I didn't. I got the hair, cool hair, so I'll just rock that. And that's uh, The cool God. hair and the dad bod. And, you know, I was talking about it the other day. I was like with the kids, like what a time to be alive. I get to be 43 at a time when gray hair and dad bods are in. It's like, how great is that? I mean, seriously. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> but back to you got shredded and you were, um, you met
0: Jen and then you asked her to marry you. Like a week later, basically? Uh, well, the day that I saw her, it was literally the moment that I saw her. And I had to do a little scan for a second to find out who it was that I was going to be meeting up to train. Because at the time, I thought I was going um, – I'll give you a little backstory. Um, basically, a mutual friend of ours had kind of connected us. And I was I was just getting into – um, my new, whatever vocation job career of, uh, opening up a gym and training people full time. So I was really excited about kind of beefing up my resume. I had an NFL football player that I was working with. And then I had the potential to be working with a professional soccer player. And I was doing these free CrossFit classes in the park at the time. And, uh, someone had kind of recommended to her that she should go do these CrossFit classes in the park. And, and I, where her, was this geographically? At Quincy, Illinois okay, at the so time this she, Quincy. she so was this was before you went to Sweden. So actually? she was living full time in Sweden. I think she even had a house and, um, she, I think she rarely ever came home and correct me if I'm wrong, for, like in between seasons. Um, but just for some reason had decided to come home for a couple of weeks and in between the seasons and, uh, Yeah. So that's pretty crazy too. You know, she rarely had ever come home and then here she is. And I'd given her a call and said, Hey, that what we do in the park, I don't know if that's really going to suit you as a professional athlete, but I would love to have the opportunity to, uh, train you one-on-one and, um, I always say it's the best two hundred and forty dollars she's ever spent. <laughs> I
4: charged her. Yeah.
1: I was like, I get everything for free. I'm a professional athlete most of the time, I don't have to pay for anything. And Sam's like, that'll be two hundred and forty dollars, and I'm like, what? Because so, Sam's
2: like, she's a professional athlete. She can afford yeah, to pay.
1: So I gave him two hundred and forty dollars, and it was the best i needed money it. spent. I needed it. For a husband, I was broke. <laughs> he
0: was broke. Um. But, uh, I valued my
2: time though. Too. So question for you, if I may, um, how did you, at that point, what had shaped your like training philosophy and all that? Like at that point, I know you've continued to evolve over the years, but at that point you were still pretty young. You had just come out of, um, what college football, right? And yeah. so,
0: well, there's a, there's a couple of things. I had really terrific mentorship at a young age. Um, I, got, I used to get bullied and picked on and beat up in high school, and I thought that like getting big and strong would solve all my problems. <laughs> and um, so had got into training at a very young age um, and had awesome, awesome guides early on. And then as uh, you fast forward into college, I had a terrific strength and conditioning coach, and he taught me all this stuff about – west side powerlifting and louis simmons and louis simmons is like this godfather of of getting strong and um i just watched all these videos and would read you know read all his like all his stuff that he'd publish and so pretty early on i was i had like I, like i said good good mentorship good guides and 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 what would help me understand how to build whatever it is that I wanted to do with my physical body Mm -hmm. um so if I wanted to get stronger I knew how to do it if I wanted to get faster I knew how to do it if I wanted to lose weight I knew how to do it if I wanted to gain 50 pounds I knew how to do it Mm -hmm. and uh actually I gained 100 pounds in high school wow um and that's wild yeah
3: that is wild we have a
0: high schooler that's going through that right now he's he's
2: maybe 20 pounds into his 100 but yes yeah and i
0: was very very motivated to put on size i was just like i was it was that or honestly this sounds kind of crazy i never like really considered it but it was that or Mm. (laughs) basically basically just die Mm. and Life was so miserable for me mm-hmm. in high school that it was either give up or, or try to do something about it and 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 I was maybe motivated in the wrong ways. Like I thought, all right, I can get big and just kick these guys' asses, mm-hmm. and never got that opportunity, which I'm glad that I never. I was very angry and upset about that for quite a, quite a while. And it terrified to go to college because I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's all going to start over again. Like, I don't know if I can take that again. Like I just physically and mentally that type of abuse, just, it was so embarrassing and I was so hurt and, and there was nobody to help me because at that time I, I looked like I could take care of myself. I was what I would consider like, was fairly handsome I had some friends I had a amazing family I had a brother I was good at sports it and I just think like man if I didn't have any one of those things i I can't imagine how mm. difficult that would have been because it was it was really hard like again I hated my life in high school and yeah, it was just it was really, really tough for me. Mm. And uh so it maybe had kind of the wrong uh, motivation for wanting to get big and strong so I could beat these guys up, but um yeah. So I don't know where I was really going with that. But so, so we were
4: talking about You guys met you started training her your quick
1: I, marriage or your quick relationship and then we had a similar story and we talked about our story a little
4: bit.
2: Oh yeah. So back to when MJ and I met. So you guys met, you had, okay. So I was 23. I had just come back from living, um, in the woods for two years. There was this therapeutic, um, camping program for emotionally handicapped boys. And, um, in lieu of going to college, a lot of Mennonite and Amish kids will spend time in voluntary service. So, you know, higher education isn't encouraged, but serving the community is. So, um, what I did was I ended up volunteering for two years at a boys camp in South Carolina. We lived in the woods in a group of 10 emotionally handicapped boys lived, you know, we'd build our own, you know, cut down trees, build that our sounds own. Awesome. it was, That's It was awesome. really cool, yeah. It was awesome. Um, cooked out in the woods in Dutch ovens and like, and we literally lived outside year round. So it was, um, it was therapeutic, wonderful. It was, you know, kids would come in on 12, 15 different kinds of meds. I bet you, you know. saw some incredible healing. Yeah, they'd come in and they just, we had a physician there who would, you know, kind of oversee the process of peeling off the layers of meds and all that. we get them down to where you actually could figure out what it is you're working with. And we had, you know, licensed people who were supporting all of this. Of course, the volunteers, you know, were like me, not, we didn't have a background of higher education. We just cared a lot we were just working hard to, you know, have make memories and have fun with the kids and, and work hard towards building a structure that could help them kind of put their life back together. And it, I mean, very successful program in terms of, very low recidivism and helped a lot of kids avoid juvenile detention and stuff like that so that was a really wonderful time but anyway came out of that and I was that's a very intense relational place right I was in these really intense relationships that I would say in some ways rivaled the parent-child dynamic like you get to know these kids they're there for two years it's a long-term thing Um, so came out of that and was just kind of not connected to like a lot of my friends had kind of moved on with life, started their married lives and started families. And I just came back into the community and was kind of like, okay, what's next? And met MJ soon after that. And it's like, when I, when I met her, um, she had come into our community for a wedding. Uh, One of her friends in my, in in our town was getting married and she'd come to visit and go to that wedding. And the day after the wedding, she showed up at our church. And it was that conservative Mennonite church that I was telling you about. And when I saw her, I we we met and spoke for maybe five minutes, just about nothing, like the weather and stuff, like it was nothing. But I just became convinced in those five minutes that this was going to be my wife. Mm. Like I just had this, like, I don't know, almost made this assumption like that somehow I had met my wife and I didn't really know or understand how that awareness came to be. But I just believed it. Like I just it was like, oh yeah, that's, MJ is my person. Like I'm going to be married to her at some point. My friends thought I was crazy, thought she was too good for me, thought I'd never get her, you know, et cetera. So we, um, that was in September of, Oh, of 2000. And then in the spring of 2001, we started dating. We dated for five weeks when I asked her to get married. And then we were married in 12 weeks after that, mm-hmm. I think. So very whirlwind romance, but a bang, but a boom, you know, planned a big wedding, hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, married um, close to her home farm and and had a huge reception in the backyard of her family's sprawling farm is gorgeous just beautiful setting Um, and that's how we started life back in 2001 after a 17-week whirlwind romance and you
0: were when you got married or engaged and married you guys were both still in the community, is that correct? Yeah,
2: conservative Mennonite community. So MJ would have worn the, the head covering that you see, you know, the, those communities wear, yeah. typically like a dress as opposed to, you know, uh, modern, like say, no pants. Like the women wouldn't wear pants or shorts uh-huh. or even skirts, really. Right. Like all dresses, head covering, that type. So just to kind of give you a sense for that environment. It was a pretty conservative
0: environment. Um, so when I first saw MJ, like I said – she had a v- very interesting style. It, she definitely stood out to me. And you had mentioned to me before that she was kind of like the, you know, maybe the kind of the rebellious one where she would she would make her own clothes and she would add these really subtle, you know, additions to maybe what was commonly worn. Um, where did you get that? Like, where did that... Where did that, because you, you have this very, you, I kind of scrolled through your Instagram too, really fun, funky style, like when you were, when you were younger, did you always have these like ideas and, and, and creative thoughts and how you could maybe just spruce things up a little bit? Like where did some of that come from? I
3: always had an interest in texture and fabrics and I remember, so my mom did house cleaning for people, for, we would call them English people, worldly people. Uh And they would send home garbage bags full of clothing, which, looking back, I have no idea what they thought they were doing, sending home garbage bags full of clothing to Amish people. Like, I don't know if they thought we would sleep in them. I don't know. I don't know what they thought we would do with them. Because you certainly couldn't (laughs) wear them. We couldn't wear them. Worldly clothes. Right. But mom would always let me go through them. And I would dress up with them or cut them up. And so I always had this fascination with it. And then at nine, I started making my own clothes. Um, my mom did not enjoy to sew. She loved gardening and she loved um, like quilting and putting together pieces of fabric that way, but not making clothes. And so she left that up to me to do all of the sewing for the family. And so at nine, I started making my own dresses and my own clothing
0: that was kind of just like your role right. within
3: the family. Was that was a to- thing that I... Yeah. And then I had a few sisters who had enjoyed it enough that they made their own occasionally, but it was on me to kind of keep the dresses made for the girls in the family. Um, but I did. I always enjoyed it. And I would always like pick up magazines and look through. And so my, I feel like we all have creativity inside of us because we all have the image of the divine in us like i think everybody every single Mm. human being has that they're art we're artists in some way um and i think again in a community like that you have to find a way to bring art to the world um i mean you look at their landscapes are gorgeous like i think the amish have their own way of bringing art without actually knowing it they they don't encourage music they don't encourage all of the commonly known arts Mm. but you look at their quilts i mean that's art you look at their landscape gorgeous landscapes art um and my way was just in the way I made clothes like and so I did I often had this way of fitting it differently or um adding something wasn't always appreciated By that's what I was (laughs) going to kind of get to because
0: because you had you had mentioned that that kind of caught your eye right Mm -hmm. and 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 if it caught your eye I'm sure it caught other people's eye absolutely and 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 did you ever get any kind of Lash on that, oh, yeah, and
3: even by my own father, because of what he was afraid he would get from authority, Mm. you know, there was the times I would make something and it fit in a way that may have been a little too revealing or um, maybe just too different. Like back when the skirts were more everybody wanted to have like a shorter skirt, I started making them longer, which you would think, well, that's more modest, right? But it was just too different, Mm. and so it was like, okay, you can't wear that, or so yeah, I did. Um, It didn't really, I I kept popping up. So it kept popping out some way.
2: She has this thing. So, you know, the only way to enforce those kind of rules is to have these very um, strict definitions around them. So if you're regulating things like the length of a skirt, like you have to measure it somehow in order to regulate it, right? She had a way to somehow fit within the technical Mm. regulations, but there was, she has this eye towards fit and texture and, and little stuff that she could kind of fit within a Still lot of... Still allowed. Yeah, it
0: fit but, within the technical, uh-huh. but it just had some kind of pizzazz that was just like, whoa. Oh, like, man, I bet the other girls were just like, uh, <laughs> it's like Well, so it would weird. often
3: start trends. I would say that. Like, yeah. it would often start something because it takes somebody to have, you know, um, but it, I mean, thinking back, it's just so silly because it's not something that anybody would notice outside of the culture, but in the culture, it was such a big deal, Yeah, and it would... Make such a big deal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so funny. At this point, you guys are around twenty, twenty four. Yep. Uh what is there about three and a half, four years mm-hmm. difference between three you guys? Three and a half years. Um pretty similar to us, right? Um except for I'm the young one. Oh, okay. I didn't
3: yep. realize. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Age is just a number.
0: Um, all right. So you guys have, you guys have been married. Um, you're still in the community. Let's get to your, again, don't know exactly what to call it. Your, your transition out. Um, and
3: We, I was pregnant with my third when we officially, okay, so again, the process is so slow that it's kind of hard to know exactly when, because in my mind, I left a long time before we actually left, right? Mm. So I was only putting things on physically to try to keep the culture happy, right? But when we moved back, so we had Portia in Ohio, our firstborn in Ohio, where we were still in a Mennonite church. Um, We moved to Pennsylvania. When I was, when she was a few months old and ended up attending the church that my parents started when they left, it was made up pretty much 95% of people who were trying to find their way out of the Mennonite culture. Oh, interesting. Um, Actually, the guy who was the pastor had been excommunicated and silenced because of some of his beliefs, but he had been a pastor in the Mennonite church. So, for all technical purposes, everybody was still from the culture but was trying to leave but I still wore a head covering and skirts until I was pregnant with my third with William so that, that would have been 2000 was that
0: conflicting at all for you did you feel like you were living a lie if you will did
3: I think for for me I think it, it did always kind of feel a little bit um
0: hypocritical, hypocritical
3: um but I think I also was aware that it, we were leaving and I also mm. knew because we had the conversations at that point and I also knew that a lot of it was just his own personal journey at that point like I we were one and so I didn't want to just make the way that I it's a big deal for that culture like the the way that the woman looks it, the guys look pretty much and in the Mennonite culture especially the guys look pretty much like any other guy out in the street it's the women that set them apart you know and so I wasn't going to go well this is going to be the way that we're going to do things and I'm going to change because that was going to mean that we're all changing. I mean, to the culture that was the sign.
2: And I think I was, well, I I would say it's certainly true that I was holding us back, right? Because I didn't have the courage to Mm. like when you had, you left and you were out, you know, in that other church, when we met, I could have at that point told, you know, my parents that, Hey, I'm marrying this girl. That's not plain. She's not from our, Sure. You know, I, I could have just done that, but I didn't have the courage to. I had I was really wrapped up in fear and there's a lot of kind of um, I, I needed the affirmation from my dad and, and all of that. And I just didn't have the courage to face that at that point for some reason. Uh, and And the lens through which I was viewing these things is the lens that I was taught growing up, which was. Um, this is what you have to do to avoid God being angry with you and this is what you have to do so that when you die you can go to heaven and not go to hell where you burn forever like that was the that's the lens through which you know that, that I was handed to view the world through is there's these very specific series of check boxes that you check and then you know when you die you'll be you know in heaven versus hell. So that was, it's like, it was a, so the idea of transitioning out of that and deconstructing that and kind of figuring out, well, if that's not true, what is true? Mm -hmm. Who does God, who is this God that we taught, you know, it's like, and and how would he have us live if, if what I, if the lens that I was handed to see the world through wasn't accurate, what is accurate. And so it took, it took years for me really to kind of get to a place where, I could at least intellectually um, come, you know, at this, at that point, I still hadn't had a real spiritual awakening, even though I had, you know, been baptized in the church and was living as a member of the church and following the rules for the most part and all of that. I, I didn't have this kind of, spiritual awakening to, or it didn't have a real relationship, I would say, with the divine at that point. So it was mostly just this kind of intellectual effort of trying to figure out what I could reason out in my mind and go, well, that didn't, that doesn't appear to be true. So what is true and what do I have to do to get to a place where I have the courage to, to kind of be okay with, you know, facing the music. If, you know, my wife starts, you know, she takes her head covering off and we start to live this non-plain lifestyle. She's wearing jeans and getting her hair cut and wearing earrings and I'm doing I don't know. I guess I got ta- I guess I got a tattoo. That was my way of kind of, you know, being a rebel or whatever yeah. we're kind of leaving and kind of but um it's like what are the what what are the consequences of that? And for me, it was the biggest challenge there I think was going back home to my parents. Mm um, after that was just knowing that there's going to be disappointment that I wasn't going to be rejected. Like I knew they loved us, but I knew that they would be deeply hurt and disappointed. Yeah. And that was probably the toughest thing in terms of leaving.
0: Um, so quite an imprint and conditioning had, had been huge. Yeah. and And me and Jenny were just kind of talking about this earlier. I think this, this morning just about like, Reprogramming ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, how's that process going? Um, it, it, are you still doing it? Do you do you still find yourself maybe holding on to certain imprints that aren't serving you? And and yeah, what's that journey kind of been like? Um, reestablishing yourself. Um,
2: That's that kind of leads us into maybe the discussion about this kind of the last two years of our life in, you know, if we want, we can just kind of dive mm, into the story please. of how that happened. Yeah, so, Juicy. Yeah. <laughs> Get to the good <laughs> stuff here, right? Okay. No. But, um, you know, I think that's still ongoing for us. And it, I would say it shifted into warp speed um, two years ago when I encountered love for the first time and in, in, in a way that changed my life um, I kind of like you, I was, I had one of those experiences that you described, Sam, where it's like, I didn't have anyone squeezing my testicles that I'm aware of, but <laughs> I, I missed out on that somehow. <laughs> but, but I, um, you know, it, so to set the stage a little bit, we're now in, in Franklin, Tennessee. We'd moved here from Pennsylvania. Um, it's two years ago in 2018 almost precisely two years ago, January of 2018. Went to church one day and um, I heard a story about the love of Christ. And for some reason it connected with me at, and it it started to break down the the ego and this structure that I had built up around myself to kind of hide who I really was and somehow love the love of Christ as I encountered experienced it that day seemed to break through to me. And, and I became aware in a way that I never had before that I belonged at the table, like that I was an honored guest, an honored son of creator God that belonged in his kingdom. Like, and nothing about me at that point would have, that would, that didn't make sense to me because I knew that I was hiding a bunch of garbage in my life. And I knew that I was jacked up beyond, you know, well, more than anyone knew, more than I even was willing to face at that point. But I encountered love at that point, and, and it just changed me in, in a way that I'll try to describe. So um, the lens of fear and judgment and shame was the primary lens through which I viewed um, my own brokenness and my own sin, right? So growing up at You know, I got addicted to pornography at, say, age 12. I was very young when I was exposed to porn for the first time. And I really started to um, use that as kind of a a way to self-medicate some, I don't know. I was dealing with a lot of loathing. And you mentioned how tough a time you had in high school. I think in junior high, as I was going through that 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old phase, there was just a lot of um, brokenness that, I started living out and I'm not sure where that started. I still don't understand what the roots mm. of it were like, cause part of me goes like, what kind of nine, 10, 12, 11, 12 year old kid is that jacked up? Right. Like, especially sexually. Like, yeah. so it's like, you're, you know, just pursuing things like porn and the kind of fantasy. And so I escaped into fantasy to avoid the pain of being, you know, a, an overweight uncoordinated, self-loathing teenage boy. You know, I was, I struggled with my weight and I hated how I looked. And um, I was always the last guy picked in any of the sports. I'm like the least sporting kind of person. i it's like just not athletic at all. You know, so it's like when we'd, you know, line up and pick teams, you know, it was like the guy, the captains, you know, they'd pick all the good guys and then all the bad guys and then all the good girls and all the not so good girls. And then, you know, the the handicapped kids. And then eventually they'd pick me. He's like, okay, Patrick's left. So it's like, okay, he's got to be, it didn't matter what it was, kickball, dodgeball, (laughs) sports ball, you know, the whole, whatever, you know, it just wasn't my, my jam. So I just had a lot of insecurity and a lot of disconnection around that. And I medicated a lot of that with fantasy and porn and, and stuff like that. So that kind of had this grip on my life, um, throughout my teenage years that I continued to carry into my marriage um it was something I never was able to find freedom even though I loathe that about myself I never could find freedom from that I really just had this compulsive nature to me that just pulled me into that and I I followed that into um a 15-year period of just acting out in you know just all kinds of damaging and destructive ways um in our marriage so I was you know um addicted to porn and then followed that into illicit sex and just was unfaithful to m j for many years and hide I hid that from everyone
0: how did and you
2: were you even able to hold on to that? I feel like I would rot away well I was rotting away I was dead inside and it's some I still don't understand you know the mercy of God for the fact that he preserved our family through that you know this was I was raising kids and It really started to come to a head, and so nobody knew about this, but it really started to come to a head when um, our kids started growing up into the teen years, because I started to project some of my own fears based on how jacked up I knew I was, I was projecting that onto them and their friends, right? Mm. And that brought up, MJ is just, you know, she's all love, right? And so she doesn't have that fear and shame component that I do, that I did. And so she looked at me one night after this really big fight about something that, with the kids, relative to the kids and, and what they were wearing and, and all of that. Like I just had all these, because I knew how jacked up I was, I was projecting that onto the mind and eyes of every guy that my daughter encountered in school, you know? And so that made me fearful. And caused me to try to control her in ways that aren't healthy. It started, the cracks in my armor started to show as my kids. Yeah, you were started. no longer able to, to kind of hide it and I function couldn't contain anymore. It, no, it started to really, you know, come to a head.
0: Yeah, and, but, and MJ seems like she's got a really good antenna or, or sense. Like she's a very empathetic and, 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 uh, and compassionate uh, woman. So I'm, I'm one, I'm, I'm surprised that she didn't catch on a little sooner. And I'm also kind of impressed that you were able to endure that mm. uh, for so long. And, and, yeah, let's get into it, it I guess, I think, maybe.
2: Yeah, for me, it was like this journey of um, the way that um, the way that lust works, I think, is that it keeps, it's never satisfied, right? So it's never quite fulfilled. So you kind of pursue, mm. You go down this path and then that's not enough. And then, you know, over time it kind of, it entices you to go further down that road and, and have, more. And it's kind of that classic addiction um, type of behavior. Like if you, you know, you look at drug addiction or really anything that kind of um, messes with your kind of dopamine receptors yeah, and reality. all of that. It's like, you're, all that is, is, there's a certain amount of tolerance that builds up to mm. it. And then you have to have more in order to experience the same thing. That's the way it worked with me and my compulsion to, you know, to that whole world. Um, so, but I hated myself for it. And and I knew that there was no good way to come out of this. Like I knew, like in, through the lens that I was viewing things, it's like, I either at some point have to level with everyone about the truth of the nature, and I couldn't imagine a world in which I'd want to live that that was known about me. Yeah, that's heavy. And Or I had to face eternity, the unknown, and God, you know, having lied about this my whole life, you know? So that didn't seem like a good plan either. So I was trapped, you know, and I I remember reflecting on, um, you know, well... Maybe I should just end it because I didn't know how to move forward in it. Like I, there was times when the self-loathing was so intense that I just was like, I should just drive off this bridge. I should just, you know, it's just, it's just too much, you know, I just couldn't grapple with, with facing that thing, you know, but that all changed when I, I shouldn't say it all changed, but it began to change when I had this encounter with love. When, when Christ, when I was sitting in that church on January, January 28th, 2018, two years ago, um, I, I somehow, it seemed like, almost seemed like the heavens opened and I began to see, I felt like, like Jesus was looking at me, like the person of Jesus was looking at me with eyes of love. And you see, you know, the difference between eyes of love and eyes of judgment. You can tell when someone is looking at you and judging you. And when he looked at me, I just felt known and loved. And I kept having this process in my mind go, but yes, but you you know about everything. Like, how do you love me? And I, I had this internal conversation with God where it was like he would bring up these all these verses that I'd encountered in the Bible, you know, from, from the past, like, I will take your sin and remove it as far as the East is from the West, you know, and I, um, God is love. And and one of the characteristics of love is that it holds no record of wrong. And I began, but, but you know how wrong I've been. Mm -hmm. And I just felt him say to me, like, but I've removed that. Like, I don't even see that. I, what are you talking about? It's like, no, but, but you know, and he's like, what are you talking about? And I just felt this invitation to just come into his presence and just be. And that I didn't have to um, get cleaned up first, that I could just come and be in love. And that that would, I, I somehow gained this hope that that I could be someone who wasn't gripped by this anymore. And that hope had never been there before. I never could, even if I had, you know, in the years past, if I had, really white knuckled it and really locked down my behavior and really tried to do good and be accountable and be, you know, it's all those things. Like I could white knuckle it for six months or eight months or whatever, but at some point something would happen and just all comes crashing down and I'm back in the mud and the dirt of, and the filth of it all. And I just failed tremendously. And, and so I didn't believe that I could be someone who didn't live like that. But in that moment when I encountered the love of of Christ I somehow I got this hope this spark inside of me that that there was that I was created to be something more than that that there was potential within me that he wanted to draw out in some way that I could be true I could be someone who didn't live like this and I didn't know what that looked like in fact I we I just wept that whole Sunday I just was a mess I mean I sat next to MJ and the kids were like, what is going on with that? I'm just like, I'm just like oh, crying and carrying on. It's like sobbing, you know, it's awful. It was our first Sunday at that church, too. I'm sure they thought, who are these crazy people? Yeah. Um, shout out to Journey Church, Franklin, Tennessee, um, and Jamie George. But MJ, how did you perceive that, like that day um, when I met Jesus? In that way, and I began to have. Well, I had this encounter with love. And it was kind of like you described. Yeah, that, that's what that's that.
0: what's running through my head right now. Is like awesome that you got to feel that that love, and finally, for once, that you were that you are worthy, and that you don't have to be able to. Oftentimes, as a gym owner, I I hear that people think they need to be in a certain condition before they can come in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that seems to be a, a very common theme, and that is playing out in our, our, our mass unconscious or mm-hmm. conscious. Like everyone is kind of dealing with this. Mm-hmm. So cool that you got to feel that in the church, but you still have your wife. Yeah. To face. Yeah. And everybody else. Mm. Yeah. And I would imagine that that still got to be pretty scary for you. Yeah. That was brutal. MJ, you, it kind it's, of, it seems like she handled that very, very well. And I, I would, I need to hear it from you <laughs> that, that you, and, and maybe how you really felt like, how were you able to be so compassionate? And loving to someone who had maybe been lying to you for so long?
3: Well, I'll back up a little bit. So tell, tell me what you thought first on the day that he was balling at church. Okay. Like, what went through your head then? So I had, um, and I referenced this a little bit, I had walked through or seen my dad go through um, an awakening. And like I said, he was a completely different person the morning before it happened to when he came to supper that night. So I had walked through with another authority figure that had walked through that and I'd seen that. Um, and so that wasn't like, I didn't understand exactly what was going on um, because he wasn't able to articulate it exactly that day. But it was a very similar changed person um, where the, the days following I could tell that something had drastically changed in him. Um, I will say, so Patrick was very open with me about his struggles as a child before we got married. So I didn't get married, not knowing, um, what he struggled with, even though at that point you haven't, hadn't really acted out much. It was more pornography. And, um, but for some reason, and we look back now and feel like it was just the kindness of God over the two years or about a year, I guess, before you met me or, or right around that time, he was feeling or found like some sort of... Um,
2: kind of a
4: reprieve or Like a freedom. reprieve
3: of freedom. So that when we were dating and got married, it wasn't a struggle at that point. Um, and then soon after we got married, um, there was one time that I had found on the computer that he had been looking at some things. And I remember at that point just begging God for this because I was a very jealous person. Um, abandonment is one of my big fears and so I remember just begging God and saying okay I don't want to be his mother and I don't want to be a policeman I want to be a lover and so please if there's anything in a relationship I don't want to go looking for it if it's the time that I'm supposed to know let me know and so I still struggled with that over the neck because there was times that I felt like there was a disconnect and I wondered and I would I had one friend who would Go with me out to eat. And I'd be like, oh, am I crazy in my head? And she was like, No, you're fine. And so it was just God was this kind with me. And so then as I as I experienced him as this new person, um, I feel like one thing that it did was it allowed me to waken up my own curiosity. And it almost felt like it opened up this portal for my own personal healing. I saw him and his enthusiasm and his curiosity around life and he would say, things look different. Like I look outside and everything looks different and people look different. And, um, I, I feel like I see people in their true selves and not in their false self. And so it, it, Mm. it definitely brought out, like it allowed me to be curious again, because I feel like my curiosity was kind of just quieted. Like, it feels like it was like my silent years. Like it was just my quiet years. Um, and so, so that automatically just opened up intimacy between us, like as, we, as we're learning this together. So that would have been again, 2018, I feel like yeah. was a huge year, year of healing for me. I did a lot of internal work. We've talked about that, like a lot of work um, on like family of origin and um, ancestral, maybe weaknesses that were handed down. And um, so there was a lot of healing happening there, a lot of a detachment. Like, I feel like I was an, an unhealthy way attached to him, looking to him for things that weren't his to fill. Um, so yeah, that I, year was a lot of healing in both of our personal lives. I still didn't know. So he didn't come to me and and say anything about this that day. I just got to experience a new person. So for
2: 12 months, basically the way I now see my awakening is like I I became aware. I used to look at the Bible and the story of that whole thing as like this – This story of judgment mostly and an angry God who, um, if we survive this life, you know, and and check the right boxes that he'll let us into heaven essentially is like it's very much a performance-based thing and, and that was the the lens through which I viewed that. When I encountered love and I encountered Christ's love and I became aware that the kingdom is the kingdom of God is this present reality, this dimension of love that we can exist in today. That we can lower our the guards of our ego, and we can exist um, in this dimension where we see people for who they are. We see their their higher selves. We don't, you know, we can live free from judgment and free from you know the the well. You can be free from the kind of controlling aspects of our lower nature, and you can you can transcend that, you know. And that that's what Jesus was talking about that piece of like well, the truth will set you free, and and I'm the bread of life. And all of these things I began to experience and live out, you know? And it's like I had lived my life as a lie up to that point, but now I became so passionate about that the truth really does set us free. It's like when we look at things and we speak truthfully about them, that somehow what results from that is something good. It's like in some way it takes me back to, the Genesis story where it's, you know, God created, he spoke forth this thing and then he looked at it and he said it was good, you know, and that's kind of what I began to see in our, in my life is like, as I, you know, as I looked at things and I spoke truthfully about them and I, I allowed the spirit to work through me in that way, it's like things were good. And that was true in my relationship with my wife, my kids, my, my career, like all of that was my life just began to become more put together there was that you know everything was built on a shifting foundation of sand before then because it was lies and now I was able to and I hadn't yet come clean about what the situation was but I knew that that was in as I wrestled with God on this thing man it was nuts too because when so I had a lot of like for the first time in my life I had peace, you know, it was like that sense of well-being, that sense of, I don't hate myself, I, you know, I feel loved by God, my creator, I feel like aligned, and I felt awake, and I felt like I just was in this presence of love, you know, and it was wonderful, however, there was this um, compelling, like, draw to to truth that was a little troublesome, so going down into 2018 to like August, September, October of twenty eighteen, I started to not be able to sleep. And it was I would think about, well, there's a big part of your life that you haven't been truthful about yet. And on the other side of that is everything that you've ever wanted and hoped for or needed. You know, it's like but I just couldn't picture a reality where where I could grapple with that, you know, and it's like so I would literally wrestle with God in the middle of the night I found myself night after night I would be on the floor dude just but God like I can't speak the truth about that you know I can't tell her that because she'll leave me and my kids are old enough to hate me yeah you know and I just can't do like that was one of the few really beautiful things that I looked at in my life my relationship with my kids you know and and I just couldn't bear giving that up or risking giving that up. And as I went through those couple months of really wrestling with God, the one thing that he kept saying to me was, I'm enough. I am enough for you. If you lose everything else, that somehow the the fact that that I'm existing in this dimension of love with my Creator and and with the presence of, of this eternal Christ force in my life, like that was sufficient. I became convinced that that would be sufficient if I lost everything else. And I, I became convinced that at a, at a level that, that gave me, I guess, a certain amount of faith to move forward. And so I remember getting up off of the floor one night and going, okay, I'm doing this. I don't know when or how, but I'm doing this. I told God, I was like, when the door opens or when the path becomes clear, I'll walk down it. I didn't know when that would be, but it would happen to be um, about five months later.
3: February it was actually it was about a year, a year ago. This month.
0: Yeah, a year ago. So, goes. where are you guys? How did you unpack it? Yeah. How did? What was the scenario in which you had kind of come to an agreement with God that you were ready, and when the time is right, that you were going to uh, tell the truth? Yeah. And and. MJ, how did you I don't understand it, but how were you able to
3: I don't understand it either. (laughs) (laughs)
0: How were you able to sit there and and be compassionate towards someone who had done you know done these things and kept them from you for so long? (laughs) Plus I'm in tears right now because it's I wanted we all need to know how to how to be that, how to hold, I'm sure it wasn't easy, but how to hold that type of space for someone so that they can trust that, and I guess you didn't know how she was going to respond, but from what I do know, she was incredibly compassionate towards you in this time, and... And yeah, how did that so, happen? And I mean, did you have some like, like some signs that this was maybe coming? And were you a little prepared for it? Like, n- no,
3: we didn't have. Well, no, I didn't have signs that it was coming. Um, we, as our intimacy grew, he was traveling a lot, and as our intimacy grew, we became more and more um, vulnerable. And one thing that we decided that we would try to do as much as possible was to be as truthful with each other about our greatest fears and our greatest desires with no shame. So when you take shame away and you don't allow that to be something that you project onto each other, and then you give space for uh, for each other to speak out your greatest fears and your greatest desires. So he may speak out one of his greatest desires and that might trigger a fear which he has to hold space then for me to go wow that brings up fear so we had again that past year had kind of allowed us to to become intimate in a way where we look back now and it did open the path so he had been traveling in February um, a lot and we got into some fun conversations over traveling so you have to become creative right to stay connected and so um, pictures and texts and all kinds of sexting with each other, just all kinds of fun ways to stay connected. And he was flying back. We had a, a concert in um, Huntsville and he was flying back from um, New York. And he, he texts me and he was like, I need to see you at lunchtime before I go back into the office. So we got together at lunch, had a fun lunch, really connected, looked forward to that evening. We're on the way to Huntsville And I don't remember this, but you claim that on the way to Huntsville, there was a small confession of sorts that Mm -hmm. came out. And I don't remember what brought it on. If it was a question I asked, could have been, because I asked questions. Um, Yeah, But I don't even remember my response at that point. Like, I don't remember that conversation at all.
2: We were super, for some reason, um, I think me being someone who could now, was really committed to speaking truth, I became someone... New in some sense, and it was—I think it drew something out of her that was—and it—it allowed us to have a much closer relationship than what we'd had before. Even prior to this confession coming up, it was like we just became more intimate. Mm. Like we, our spirits were more intertwined. Like there was less between us, you know, and. So that was cool to see. And then and it led into these really fun manifestations of, of intimacy and, and beauty in that way. And so that day, like, we were just really into each other. Like, it was just, we couldn't leave our hands off each other. It was, like, really that kind of...
3: And we didn't even make it through the concert. Like, no,
2: we, we got to the concert. And we were like, it was the, the guy that opened up was, like, just finishing up. We're like... We're going home. We
3: pay money like, for the guy that's coming up, but we're, 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 yeah, so we're, we're
2: either are gonna out are We're going to have here. sex under the bleachers or else <laughs> we're going to go home. You know, so it's like we decided to bail on that whole deal. And, uh, um,
3: and ended up making out on the way home to the point where, again, curious little MJ made out in the car in this new way. And I looked well, at him. We had
2: <laughs> sex in the car. So.
3: <laughs> and I looked at him and I was like, wow, now that's never happened before, has it? and he just goes stone white and i'm and, like and he goes
2: in that moment i'm i'm going you know what that was a new experience but i actually had had that experience before 10 years ago with someone else you know and i could have played that off mm. but there was something within me that went you only speak the truth now
3: and so he hesitated and he went no that actually has happened before and in my mind, I was going, "Oh, probably before we were married." Like, okay, he's speaking the truth now, you know. And then I was like, "Why did you hesitate? Like, why did you?" And he and he looked at me, and he was like, "Because it was since we were married." And so that was the first kind of small confession.
0: Small. It wasn't nothing. nothing small well, bad. I mean, <laughs> the first comparatively, comparatively, <laughs> right. but it was like right. nuclear at that moment, yeah, yeah, nuclear um, bomb going off. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree with you, and that that. Seems you know you say s- small confession to me that comes off as like that's big. Yeah, I and, mean and it'll so how h- small once you get once the rest we, of the story. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yes,
3: but but yeah, and I feel for the first time I felt maybe a little bit of what both of you experienced in that I felt something much bigger than myself come over me, and I didn't. Again, maybe it was a lot of it because of the the work I had done to. Detach from him in a in a healthy way, where it wasn't like I was getting all of my worth and value based on his actions anymore. But it I didn't it didn't it didn't hit me in a place where it was like it said something about me. It was it was more of a I I took it from him as a as he was telling me something about himself and not necessarily telling me something about myself with, which I think we as women often go to, it's like, Oh, that must mean something about me. Cause that's where I went previously. It's like, Oh, I, I'm not enough or I'm, I'm less desirable or all of these lies that we as women take on. Um, and so for the first time I experienced that, it was like, I heard a confession about something that was coming against our marriage in our marriage. And I didn't feel like it was saying something about my own worth. And so um, we, we, Walk through that and you let me know that there was going to be more
2: yeah so we we talked that night and you were like well what else are you holding from me or what else are you holding on to and I said you know I don't think that I can see the path forward to walk any further down that road tonight but I said as I promise you that I will as I see the path for that and as I feel like I can like i just i didn't feel like i could withstand that and i didn't know if she could and so i just somehow i think the higher your higher self saw that i was actually being truthful about that that i really would that i was committed Mm to that um but i but i just couldn't like i
0: was literally um incapable
2: of like, going down that
0: path like that was already max effort for you there max was, effort there was at that point. nothing left yeah. in the tank or else yeah, in terms of vulnerability yeah. and and, all
3: and i think because it came on as such a surprise it wasn't something again i don't know how you thought the path would look but it wasn't something that you had kind of formulated it was just like boom there was the question and mm-hmm. you because you speak honestly said the honest truth and, and
2: it's interesting too looking back, um Well, okay. So let's just go um, into the next night then. So then I said, look, I promise I'll, I'll, you know, share all of this with you as I can. Next day I went to work and, you know, kids went to school. And that night we watched a movie with the kids and then put them to bed. And then we started talking and it was 10 o'clock on a Friday night. And she just goes, look, I don't know what else you're carrying, but let's do this. Like, she said i feel like i have this wonder woman suit on i feel like Mm -hmm. the divine is just wrapping me in his love and i feel strong and courageous and i'm ready to hear your story i'm ready like let's do this and i had every reason not to i was like you know this is this could be destructive it could i said maybe we need a third party here with us to kind of guide us i said maybe I had all these reasons why and she's not. She's like, to. there is, <laughs> and she's like, yes, there is. There was a third party with us. There really was. Um, so she's just like, no, let's do this. Let's go. And and
3: you you asked. You were like, if I get to a certain point and I can't, I can't go on. Is that going to be okay?
2: Sure. So I began unpacking. You know, and it was like that. I had started the night before with the least shameful transgression, and. Then I began from there, and I just, as I had the courage to, um, you know, progressively confess my failures, and I unpacked for the next six hours until 4 a.m., Okay, I unpacked <laughs> 15 years of hell and just in as much detail as I could
0: manage. Now, I'm sure that might have felt to some degree like a weight was lifted huge. off of your chest. Huge. But I would kind of assume that all that heavy baggage is now resting on the chest of your wife. MJ, how in the world do you oh. receive this?
3: <laughs> in the moment, again, I believe it was some a huge gift given to me, but I was so overwhelmed with compassion and um, the only thing I could think to say over and over again is I cannot believe you've carried this so long. Like I cannot understand how you've carried this so long. I would have not been able to like that. I just, I can't. Um, and so, I mean, there was tears and we would hold each other and just weep together. and cry together. Um, and you're right. The download which is kind of what it felt like that that I was carrying then um was a process I mean it was and it was again it was Patrick held so much space for me to be able to come over the next couple of weeks and ask any questions I wanted to ask for clarity around anything um and with no shame like he would hold no shame I would give no shame no fear um And, and know that it wasn't coming out of this place where I was holding record, but it was just this, like this download. I had to, I had to be able to process this download. Um, and so, yeah, it was. And then in June, um, one thing that we decided pretty early on was that in our home confession was going to be celebrated every time. Um, and so that's how we live. We ended up in June telling the kids, Mm -hmm. sitting down with the kids and, um. Telling him our story. And it was interesting to watch. Um, Portia was on one side of me and Benjamin was on the other side of me. And as Patrick was telling his story, um, Benjamin leaned in closer and closer to me, grabbed me. And Portia actually, by the end of it, had her body turned completely away from me. And as we unpacked that with the kids, Portia said, You know, mom, as the woman in the story, I was trying to relate and I. As a woman myself, the only thing I could think of was like how not to be like mom so that this doesn't happen to me. Um, so it was good for us to even unpack that and um, to help her understand that as a woman, that doesn't have to be something that you carry. It doesn't have to be something that you believe about yourself. Um, and then for the boys to be able to. And then after we after that, we said, okay, we're going for ice cream. Like, and immediately when we got back to our house, our little we were on vacation, our rental house. One of the boys ended up going, okay, it's my turn. Like, you know, so now we've oh made gosh. midnight taco bell runs because it's like somebody was brave enough to talk about something. And when there's we celebrate, that. we celebrate that because whenever you bring something into the light, it loses its power instantly. Like it just loses its power. Um, because things in the dark grow and sometimes just keeping things in secret is literally the food that causes it to grow. Like that's what will make it grow. Mm. And so, um, and yeah, it still feels pretty fresh, and and like we're still figuring it all out. But yeah,
0: so yeah, thank you for for sharing. And I it really it blows my mind that you guys can Talk about do this so so well. And I'm I'm really curious on the healing process of mm-hmm. that. And and was it was it immediate? Like, did that did that confession heal everything, or? You know, how are you still handling this? Do you ever, does the ego ever come in and, and, and get a little jealous or get, want to use it to kind of, um, I don't know, payback or, or like get them like, yeah, how are you guys, how are you doing today? You look healthy, you look happy. <laughs> Jen and I are very inspired by your love and just, and you, yeah, you too, um even if we didn't know that story the you you guys have a very you a lot yeah a very you. very special energy about you guys and like i said even if i didn't know that story um so to me you guys look you look fine you seem fine are are you like has this resurfaced at all and and uh and and how do you handle that
2: well, I, it's, um, it's given us a new way to live, and I think it's illuminated a way, it's, a, it's given us a lens on, on the gospel, on the story of, of love, that I, you know, I, we talked earlier about how it all belongs, how our story, like, you know, it's easy to want to judge what was good and what was bad about our story, but we're starting to get enough perspective now where we go, that was painful as hell. And we are starting to see how God is using it in our lives to shape us and to, to, well, for to create more of who we were, so that more of who we were created to be can can emerge. I guess you know, and it's like it it rep for me it it really was kind of this moment of realizing that the story of the cross in the Bible of death, which was followed by resurrection, is more than just one to, like that's not just a one time event that the power of the resurrection lives in us now and so i think what that means is that if everything that's not true and good about me today i have the opportunity to allow that to die to burn off and that something more true can can emerge from that and, you know, the, there's a verse in the New Testament that says that confession leads to repentance. And both of those words were kind of trigger words for me growing up in a very conservative, legalistic setting. I thought of repentance as this kind of shameful, like I have to come beat myself up mm-hmm. and, and all of that. It's like, it's really, the ancient language is more this idea of, of transformation of the mind, of renewing of the mind, a new way to think, um, changing. And so it's like confessing speaking out the things in which the things that aren't true about you and that need to become more true or more like the divine like that confession itself there's an act there's something about that speech that seems to um, provide this opportunity for realignment and and transformation and a new way of thinking so I haven't only like to your extent or to your question like are you good how are you yeah it's like the moment that I met the love of Christ. I met Christ, the person of Christ gazing at me and and I was transformed by that. Like <coughs> the the chains of of the the monkey on my back, the demon that had gripped me my whole life was gone. I haven't been gripped by that since then. And so whenever there's anything that's not true, or there's temptation that arises, or I see something and I'm tempted to grab onto a thought that isn't true or doesn't help me, I know that the path of confession, speaking the truth, bringing it into the light, brings new life, brings new way, a new way of thinking and being. And so we've just held the space for each other to, to be completely open about everything in real time. If we're... at you know, at a restaurant or a bar and you see this, you know, if I see some hot chick walking by with this, you know, great booty or whatever, it's like, I, sp- like, if I think it, I speak it to her because she holds the space for that and she knows that it's like, I'm crazy, but I'm redeemed and I'm made new. <laughs> and so it's like, I'm, I have this monkey mind, this monkey brain that's, I can't, and it's like, but I don't hold anything in the dark anymore. I don't hide anything. So that process of just um, confessing, and then realigning it's like it well it's made me more true i don't think those things anymore it's like two years in it's like yeah initially like oh, i was telling a friend of mine about this what our agreement with each other to just hold space to be 100% honest with each other about what we're thinking feeling what our desires are what our fears are like we just hold space for that my friend was like that'll never last you're going to crush her with your idiocy you know and you might think that's true initially, but what happens over time, if you commit to that, we've found is like, well, your mind heals. Mm. And it's like, you. I don't think that anymore. So I don't crush her with it anymore because it's not there. It's like, well, that's cool. You know? And so, um, it just invites us all and we've kind of looked back at our whole lives and, and said, okay, well, if this promise of resurrection is true, it's like, then we can just look at anything in our life and, and, look at it through that lens. Mm-hmm. What parenting teens, there's a there's a narrative that exists in our culture about what it's like to parent teens. And we're saying, um, no, like we're going to bring renewal to that. And it's like parenting our teens has turned into one of the greatest joys of our life. Like the relationships that we have with them move me, they change me, they keep, like they, it's just...
3: Well, and we don't have to be afraid of them. Like we're not... I think one of the things we've learned as well is like, we're not afraid of being wrong because the goal isn't to be right. And so the thing, the mantra that I think of so often is how is it that I would want to be treated Mm. when he brings confession, how would I want to be treated in this situation? How is it if I would be bringing something to him like this, what is it that I would want in response? How would I want to be treated? How would I want to be loved? Um, and another thing is to forgive quickly. Like, if you hold it or let it sit for any amount of time, there would be all sorts of temptations to, to make it be bigger than what it really is. So if you can, in some way, just... That doesn't mean forget, because that's different. But just not let it grip you in some way, and just release. And hold the space, really. Um, yeah,
2: I think it's really entered every part of our life, like our, you know, shoot working out. You know, we started going to CrossFit, you know, regularly and taking care of our bodies because the promise of the resurrection is that, you know, the old unhealthy patterns of sin and whatever else is holding you back, those can die and something new can take its place. It's like, oh, well, that's good to know. Like, I don't have to be an out of shape couch potato. Like I can become a guy that that works out. You can like, become an athlete. I can become an athlete. It's like, it's like, the,
3: you know, the one that was never picked on any of the game yeah. on the teams. You
2: know, and, and you know, I I was never um, good at taking responsibility for our finances. I always pushed that off on her. I was like, I'm a seven on the enneagram. I pursue pleasure and Guilty. you know, it's mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with that. But it's like as as I was faced with that, it's like the spirit drew me into like you know what, you can become someone who takes responsibility for that. And I have, you know, and it's, it's really faith building to look back at the last year and go, gosh, I, like I didn't know I could be that person, mm-hmm. but that's really cool, you know. And it, it really applies to so much in life. Well, maybe everything.
0: I, I love that you brought up the Enneagram. Uh, I'm a seven as well. And uh, Jenny's an eight. Uh, MJ, I believe you're a four. I am a four. Uh, funky fully for. funky for. <laughs> um Sorry, and, guys. uh I, sometimes the Enneagram I I feel like within um the Christian context uh gets isn't very well received. Uh but if anything for me it's I don't know if you guys are familiar with the love language mm-hmm. uh book as well. Mm-hmm. Um and initially I didn't really I didn't really like those books because I feel like it it said this is who you are mm-hmm. this is who you have to be uh, but what I've really gathered from those are that we we have the abilities to love in multiple ways and there are multiple types of personalities and we we have the ability to um, kind of connect and and use all of them to uh our advantage. Mm-hmm. So as much as I may be a seven and you may not like to really uh handle the finances, but you can. Mm-hmm. And and that we can kind of uh, I love um how the any it has like a little diagram it's mm-hmm. like these mm-hmm. arrows bouncing all over the place. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I think that we can kind of, uh, we can use each other to learn from each other and become more whole mm-hmm. and and learn how, um, yeah, and to, yeah, to just to become more whole and to become more.
3: Uh, well, it has definitely helped me understand that he has a different lens that he's seeing through simply because he is a different number than I am on, or he, yeah, the number kind of helps you understand yourself, but it helps you understand your spouse as well where yeah you're not you're not confined and bound to this number, but it does give you insight into how you are different from everybody else, you know, like not everybody actually understands things the way I do, and I don't understand things the way that you do, um and in that we can help each other understand the bigger picture mm.
0: and really yeah i i I see all the numbers as kind of fragments of God, if you will yeah um uh, mm. and and I often kind of say that I'm like, I'm blown away by all these fragments. I'm like, wow, if you put all those pieces together, you have a really like stud person. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, oh, like I kind of, that's, that's him, man. He's the stud and Mm -hmm. and just like, he kind of sprinkled all these pieces of himself down here. And, and I think when we, when we kind of work together, and get to know each other and how each other sees the world and receives the world we're able to kind of link up and create if um, this metaphorical and kind of physical body of of Christ body of mm-hmm. body of God and like all these different numbers like let's just I'm not truly identifying these numbers with these these parts but in in my mind I kind of see like the one is the head or the two is the arm and the, and the three is the other arm and the four is the heart and the, and the five is the leg. And we literally with all these numbers create this, this God body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's, it's been an incredible tool uh, for us as well Mm -hmm. in our marriage to just gain a little bit of perspective and how this person is, is uh, seeing and receiving life and, And, and helping us come to, yeah, just understand each other a little bit more and, and it's really improved our communication Mm. and, and it sounds like it's been a valuable, uh, tool for you guys as well. So yeah, yeah, very much. Um, gosh, I'm like emotionally exhausted. Um, and you, (laughs) you guys have an incredible story. Uh, and I, I thank you so much for sharing it. Um, is is there anything else that you'd maybe like to share or uh, convey as we we kind of start to maybe wrap this up, um, so that I, I don't go into like adrenal fatigue because of how <laughs> how, how intense how intense this yeah. was yeah well thank you for giving us an opportunity to share that I think um,
2: we have felt like the time is coming to share our story you know and and um, we've also felt like we needed to have the right amount of perspective on it so that we don't just, you know, bleed all over everybody. You know, there has to be a certain amount of healing that happens before you you can have the perspective to even kind of know what might've happened, you know? So we're still kind of in that, but I think it's been, you know, it's been two years now since I had my awakening and a year since the confession. And so, you know, we've continued to grow. And I think it has given us this perspective that, um, for us, our faith, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think we've, we're walking this journey together, to, and and finding that um, <clears throat> as we, you mentioned um, all the the numbers of the enneagram kind of make up this um, maybe the perfect example, the mm. perfect God, the the whole, the whole. It says we're made in the image of God, so maybe we're refract. That's one part of the refraction of the image in some sense. Is is each one of us. Um, so, along those lines, we've kind of come to um picture our faith that guides us as this like well, what does it look like to be like Christ? If we say we're Christians, what's a little Christian what's a little christ um and it's like this belief means that I actually live out the what well what Christ said it's like i love, don't judge um don't do things for yourself, do things for others like that. You know, you live out this pattern in your life and you live out the pattern of death and resurrection. It's like, Oh, it's, it's a really real faith like that, that has, that guides us each day. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like you get up every morning and you face the day and you go, well, what would it look like for me to live out my potential maximally in, in the way and the truth? And it's like, it just changes your whole view of it, it. It's a cure for the nihilism and meaninglessness that can emerge if we don't have, you know, a proper vision for our lives or a proper aim for our lives. It gives us this aim. Maybe this ultimate aim is is Christ, right? It's like, man, if I aim at Christ and if I essentially become everything that I was created to be, because His Spirit within me is is animating me and, and everything that, and I live out this pattern of death and resurrection and everything that's not true about me, as I become aware of it, I lay it down at the cross and then I'm resurrected in something that's more true, more like the divine image that I was created in. It's like, man, that, then, then that really becomes, um, this deeply meaningful journey that, of of constant, um, you know, we, we grow together. There's, um, there's a truth telling, there's a this pattern of, of um, love first, of grace and mercy. And, and as we gaze at, at this perfect example, Christ, as we gaze at that, and that's all the Enneagram numbers together, you know, and it's like that's all, that's everything that we could be. And, you know, I think it, it pulls us forward into this beautiful life that we didn't know existed two years, two and a half years ago. And it's not without pain, like the, that process of death and resurrection, it's painful every time. Yeah, it hurts you like know? hell. Yeah, it's like, well, when, when that, that part of me that didn't want to do the budget, when that part died, guess where it died? It died right here on the floor because I was so pissed, I was so full of anger and so full of resentment that I was on the floor freaking throwing a fit at it about it, basically. It's like I was shaking my fist. So it's like, that process isn't exactly easy. Yeah. But gosh, it's, it's, it's meaningful. It's beautiful too. Like, and it doesn't, you know, um, I feel like we've reconnected with maybe the ancient truth of scripture going back way before the kind of power structure that emerged as the church, like way before that to this
0: the commercialization. Yeah. Of all,
2: it's all like com- the spirit of the founder says, Hey, like be true, be don't loving hold record of wrong. Don't hold record of wrong you know those without sin throw the first stone and um, live out this pattern of death and resurrection and there's there's a message there about taking responsibility think about the things that are good and true and not about the things that are you know not good and not true it's like you can take responsibility and and, and you basically by doing that are speaking the truth about what's true and what's not true and you're facing the potential of each day with love and with truth and then You know, like God did in the beginning, it's like something good emerges from that. And that's what we've been experiencing with our kids, with our fitness, with our relationship, with our community of friends, um, with our finances, with, well, with everything. You're just getting started. Yeah. So it's like, (laughs) just getting started, man.
1: Gosh, dang. Am I too loud? No, no, no. Because I will talk really loud. If I talk loud, just do this. Um, <laughs> I hope that you guys continue to share your story because I think that is the most powerful story. Um, I think a lot of people, especially Christian couples, they're so shame. like they're, they're, They have so much shame of like maybe mm-hmm. the sins that they have had that nobody is ever willing to open up and Mm. be real and be Mm. true and I think that's like the type of people that we connect with are people that can just say hey I messed up Mm -hmm. and I'm here to um to tell you my truth and and to become better Mm -hmm. and you guys are a perfect example of that and I think that we need a lot more of that in our lives Mm -hmm. and and I, I think people will start being more truthful about who they are and what their relationships bring. And you're going to connect with so many couples mm-hmm. and bring so much light to those couples just by telling your story. Because, I mean, obviously, you guys are not the only ones that have gone through this. But I really think that you guys are a rare percentage that made it through that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, that is a cool story. And that should be your your witness for sure and your light to share with people because I was thrown back that you, um, Patrick were so incredibly quickly honest with Sam the first day that you guys met. And I didn't even know know this whole story yet. Like I knew bits and pieces, but I was just so curious on what this was going to look like. And, um, you taught me so many things about how growing up in the Christian world, sometimes like we feel like we have to punish ourselves mm-hmm. um, when we have a sin or when we do that. And we don't have to, yeah. like truth can set you free. Like, yes, this is a sin. Let's confess and let's, and let's move on a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, and live life. And, and I was really curious on like what your reaction was going to be. Cause I didn't, we didn't have that conversation when we talked at the coffee shop and so um, but I know that you've been doing a lot of, um, self journey like your you know your own journey mm-hmm. um, along with him too but you were just so real and so open and, and that that's really awesome and I feel I just feel like you guys are going to connect and help so many couples mm, um, hopefully you. not just through this podcast I hope you guys continue to keep sharing this story around thank with you with everybody um, and how cool that you guys shared this story with your children I was actually going to ask that um, I was like, what if they're listening outside? Like, what mm-hmm. if they listen oh, to this podcast? They know and I was like, they have to know <laughs> or they would never have probably came on this podcast. Yeah. But um, that's incredible because we don't have children. But that is the one thing that I hope that we bring into our marriage and into um, our family, if we have one, of just truth and openness and celebrating um, confession. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. not making it so shameful and and such a hard thing to go through. It's already hard enough, Mm -hmm. but being able to open up about it with somebody and have that journey together and celebrate it or talk it out um, is really cool. And we saw it in your kids today of – how much light they're going to bring also to this world. And I see that through you guys and you guys have taught them really well. So thank you. um, I I learned so much from this.
3: One, one thing um, is if we can stay curious, like the opposite of judgment is curiosity. If we can stay curious around people's stories, even if it is the ones that are closest to us and because curiosity is humility it's it's saying I don't I don't know everything I'm curious to know more I'm curious about you know what it is um, and even for your children it, it, just staying curious and and not we sometimes change language just because we have to because it's there's triggers and like even the word sin feels so heavy and we sometimes we just call that missing the mark like hey I missed the mark like didn't serve me well confession. Um, so yeah, but, and thank you to you guys for how you use your platform. I mean, that's how we connected in the first place. We would send your, we would send your stories and your, your posts back and forth to each other. And we're like, no, but it comes through like even something as call it silly or, um, what did you say? You know, non, it feels sometimes like you're not connecting. It can still love is love transcends that and it comes through, it comes through those tiny little squares and you just do not know who it is that is seeing that and, and taking something beautiful from that. So yeah. Thank I'm, you.
1: It's so great to hear because like CM said, during that time when we met you guys at the coffee shop, we like, I so badly want to get rid of like, Instagram and I so badly want to get rid of all of that because it is a huge stressor in my life. And sometimes I feel like I have to post. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's not a good feeling to have when it comes to that. But with our life and our lifestyle and our gym and social media is kind of sometimes the way we do make our money. But um, I almost got rid of it. I really did. I was like, what are what our life is going to be without this? And, um, and I think I'm going to kind of revamp the way I do my Instagram after meeting you guys. But because um, I don't want to completely get rid of it if some people are getting any type of. Um, motivation or what's the word I'm looking for? Inspiration, you know, and, and this really cool that we, I have learned so much from you guys today that I can't imagine anywhere in our life that we even inspired you to because
4: you guys are so (laughs) motivational
1: and inspirational that it's, it's mind blowing that a little post from our crazy hippie, whatever life it is, you know, um, but it's bark in that. And, yeah. I and should that.
2: tell you just, you know, as we're wrapping up, like last week when you first, when we first met, um, we were, so we have, it seems like um, the struggles that we have to let go of resentments that burble up in our hearts or that kind of, that we become aware of and, there's days when MJ might be wrestling with something and then there's days when I might be wrestling with something or, you know, we just have these. Thank the
3: Lord it's not usually the same. Not day. <laughs> usually the same day,
2: you know, so we're able to pull each other through, you know, that's the beauty of it. But um, what day was it that we met them? Was it on a Tuesday? I forget, but I don't remember. I don't remember but but was, I just I remember, that. remember yeah. that day you'd that been morning. in a bit of a funk and you were having a tough time of it and just kind of feeling like God was kind of distant and you just didn't feel that connection to him and some in, in a way and you you were just honest about that and and I remember um, just whenever you're in that place I really the only prayer that I kind of have is that you would just encounter love in some way that that is healing to you and, and on
3: the way to the gym I was going because one of the prayers that I have taken on is may what's meant for us come to us and may we be open to it like may it just happen and on the way to the gym that morning I was like why is this even something I'm praying this is ridiculous like it's not like this seems silly it feels like you're so distant you're so far away
2: yeah and you know as we were going through the post-confession wasteland um, we were looking for voices of of hope and voices of love and not shame and you guys were one of those voices that we heard in that wilderness and um so i think when mj texted me and said you know you'll never believe who was at the gym and then i asked who and she said what well, was sam and jen dancer i just knew immediately what that meant for her <laughs> i knew that that was like this that i just it was like this it was A kiss. god kiss it was a kiss from the divine to, to show up in love in a way that i was just so overwhelmed by it. I was in the car when she texted me that and I just started crying because I was so moved by how well he cares for us, you know, and how it was like, that's unbelievable, you know? And so when I, MJ was like, Hey, you should pop in and say hi. So, and you know, then obviously we met and had coffee the next day and all that. It was just, I just felt that connection, but it was your voice, your voice in that wilderness was one of the voices that gave us hope and gave us this um, perspective that, that there is a way to live without shame and without judgment and that love does prevail in the end and that that is our highest aim. And
0: so thank you. Gosh, thank you. You guys did such an amazing job articulating that and, I'm, I might have to retire my podcast career <laughs> after Can one episode. I don't know. <laughs> please no, don't. I, I, don't, know how, no, please I don't, don't know
1: how. I don't know
4: how. I don't know how. I'm going to
0: continue doing <laughs> this.
3: But yeah. you guys, oh my gosh. Liam going
0: to cry every
1: episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: That's so great strength and not a weakness.
0: Um, gosh dang it, guys. <laughs> I love you so much. Thank you a million times for sharing your story. Um, I can't even talk right yeah. now um and yeah i i'm not gonna retire from this no. i i am gonna continue uh we've committed to fifty two episodes we're doing at least a year of this and um
3: and jenny will have a
0: headset headset we she we're gonna one. it's in the budget like now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go get one and um <laughs> um but um, I'm I'm so glad that we met you. I'm so glad to be able to call you guys friends, um, and I'm I'm so happy that I have more family in in Franklin Tennessee now. Right. And um, God bless you guys. And and this this recording, this message is at the very least, it's changed my <laughs> life. And and I I can't wait for more people to hear it and and just get a little taste of. God's love. Yeah. Thank absolutely. You. That's thank you, too. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. Love you so much. Thanks, Thanks. You too. Gosh, thank you.